Ashley Banfield here, and this is Rising Tide, the place where I bring some of the greatest mentor minds to you. If you care about your craft and you want to be better at what you do, I want to help you with that. You know, it's easy to assume that you need an Ivy League education to really make it big. But each month, I feature VIP mentors who are leaders in their industry, and they say, that's not true. They're going to prove to you that you don't have to have highbrow connections to create your own personal best. And they've agreed to share their tips, their secrets, and their career advice with you. This is Rising Tide. I don't even need to introduce, you know, Harvey Levin. Are you kidding me? Except for a lot of the stuff that people don't know about Harvey. A, he's my friend and I really like him. And he is nice and sweet and freaking smart. And I love my friends that are really nice and sweet and freaking smart. Um, But he's also a writer, a creator, a producer, an executive producer, an investigative reporter, and As you all should know, he is an attorney. He's the executive producer of the TMZ Brands. He's won nine, count them, nine Emmy Awards. I can't even list the other local and national accolades that he's, um, you know, uh, been adorned with. Uh, I don't know if you know, he created a series called Objectified, which also airs on Fox News Channel. And before TMZ, he created, executive produced, or consulted for several syndicated series, including Celebrity Justice, The People's Court, Moral Court, Superior Court. He was also an investigative reporter for a decade at KCBS TV in LA. For seven years, he wrote a legal column for the Los Angeles Times. Harvey, I did not know that. So now it perfectly makes sense as to why you instantly see the media value in legal stories. I love it. Um, he also hosted radio talk shows for KABCAM and KMPCAM in Los Angeles. He's graduated the University of Chicago Law School. He began his career as a litigator at a prestigious law firm in Los Angeles. He's been a professor of law at three universities. He's also served as a consultant for the American Bar Association, and he's testified before Congress on behalf of the American Bar Association. So, Harvey, welcome. I'm so Thank glad you, Ashley. You. After I, listening to that, I feel like I'm 130 years old. So thanks. Well, I don't even know how you've done it all, even in the few short years, because you're only like by looking at you, what, 45, something like yeah. that? Yeah, Yeah. that's right. That's right. <laughs> we always talk about age. Harvey, right off the bat, how did you do it? How did you go from being a graduate um, with a law degree to being one of the most successful entrepreneurs and producers in television and one of the most unique? Um, I actually should have, I, I should be in Biloxi, Mississippi right now, um, because when I graduated from law school, uh, my, in my third year of law school, I sent resumes out to, I think, more than 100 television stations all over the country. And I remember writing one thinking, okay, Biloxi, Mississippi, I, I know I can get a job there. And I was pitching myself as a legal reporter, and there was no such thing at the time. And um, I got rejected by everybody. And I was positive that I'd get accepted at Biloxi and they rejected me too. So, um, you know, it's funny that I think in a weird way, at least for me, um, my, my, my training and, and not even so much as a lawyer, but from law school, has helped me more than had I gone to journalism school. 
Um, and I say that because there's a way that you're trained to think when you're in law school, that you look for holes in arguments, you look for worst case scenarios. It's just the way your mind is trained. And it just fits so well, at least for me, in journalism. And, you know, because that's, I, I, I actually use my law degree more um, doing what I do now than I think I did even as a lawyer. Because as a lawyer, when I was a litigator, I mean, you spend a lot of time, you know, just writing interrogatories and, and doing things that are almost rote. And, you know, you don't exercise your brain unless, you know, when you're in court, you do. And, you know, sometimes when you're, you know, preparing, you do. But I do this all day long. And I, I constantly think about how I'm trained to think when I'm, you know, looking at somebody's script, looking at a story, um, creating something that you look for holes in what you're doing, plug the holes. It, it, it just, it's weird, but my law degree is the most valuable thing I have in journalism. It is the most valuable thing I have. It's weird. Uh, I don't think it's weird at all. I think, you know, the devil's in the details in so many of these stories and in the law, uh, and in a courtroom, the devil will bite you in the ass if you're not uh, crossing every T, dotting every I, and checking all of those questions. Um, so I, I agree. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head with that. Carter Davis from Arkansas has this question for you, Harv. In your opinion, what's the difference between a reporter and paparazzi? So, you know, the paparazzi can be something as silly or intrusive as somebody who just, you know, walks up to a celebrity or somebody, a politician, whoever, and just gets in their face and asks a dumb question. But a paparazzi could, and by the way, a journalist can do the same thing with a, with a ridiculous story. You know, if you see what's going on now in the world of media, there's a lot of stuff that just gets made up and not only made up, but somebody makes something up and then everybody follows it just because somebody put it out there. So both can be ridiculous. At the same time, yes, I'll give you an example from yesterday afternoon. Um, there's a guy actually used to work here and he is a, I guess you would call him a paparazzi. He is really, really smart and um, and knows his stuff. And he found Gary Busey. And I don't know if you've read, but Gary Busey is in the middle right now of a criminal case. He was at a convention in, in New Jersey. Three women say that he assaulted them. And um, this photog had a three and a half minute conversation with Gary Busey that was remarkable. And, you know, Gary Busey denied it and the photographer pressed him. He really knew his stuff. Well, that's journalism. I mean, what's the difference between that and somebody in an office calling Gary Busey and trying to get that? The only difference is this guy got him saying it on video where you can judge his reactions in addition to listening to what he said. So, you know, what is the difference between a, what is it, a paparazzi and a reporter? Sometimes a world of difference and sometimes absolutely no difference. It depends on how it's executed. It's really as simple as that. And I want to just dovetail on that about TMZ and being um, such a, you know, such a, a, a creative producer 
tell me if this is wrong and then tell me how it happened. You created TMZ, the idea, the concept uh, for a syndicated television show. Uh, I'm going to say about a decade and a half ago, maybe more. And everybody in syndicated television said, thanks, but no thanks. Literally one of the best, most successful brands on television was passed over by all the smarty pants in the executive offices. Is that true? Nope. Okay, what happened? No. So it actually started as a website. Uh, we, we launched in 2005 uh, as a website. And I, I think I know where you're going on this. That everybody, everybody told me it was a terrible idea. Um, everybody, except one person. Um, and, you know, my friends, people in the business, they because I had produced a television show called Celebrity Justice. And um, and everybody said, why are you getting out of the television business to do something online? Because at the time there was no such thing as a news operation online. It, it, again, this is 2005. It, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was an eternity based on the way the Internet has developed. But there was no news operation. And I figured, you know, because we had such terrible time periods with celebrity justice, my premise was that if you could create a real news organization online that has all of the rigors that you would have in a traditional newsroom, you know, producers, lawyers looking at things, researchers making sure that things are accurate, that if you have the same drill as, you know, traditional media, you can beat everybody because like when we when I did Celebrity Justice and we had a show that was on at 1230 at night, we would end up going on CNN, breaking the story there because we were afraid somebody else was going to break it. So by the time it got on our show, the story we broke was old news. And I thought, you know what? Actually, this happened in a Margarita Hayes in, in uh, Cabo San Lucas. I was thinking it's simple because there's no time period for um, if you're online, there's no publishing cycle. If you're online, when you get it right, you get it up. And it just seems so simple. But everybody thought it was a terrible idea, except one night I went to a restaurant and I ran into Ryan Seacrest and he said, well, what are you up to? And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to tell him. And he said, I really like that idea. He said, you can come on my radio show when you launch it. He was the only person who believed in this. And um, so we were a website for a couple of years and broke some big stories, um, most noticeably or notably uh, Mel Gibson getting arrested on Pacific Coast Highway and going into that anti-Semitic rant. And a couple of years later, actually Fox called us and said, we'd like you to do a television show. And I was so uninterested in doing a TV show because by that point, I was so into digital that I thought, ah, television. And, and, and I remember I almost had to be convinced to do the show because I thought, well, what's this show going to be? It's like, we don't need another entertainment tonight. There were already five of them on TV. And it also didn't fit with the brand. And what we were thinking about was, well, we have this morning meeting that we do every day where everybody gets around in a circle and they pitch stories. And I thought, let's make that the voice of the TV show. 
And then it's different. And we don't have anchors and suits and ties and dresses and whatnot, but we have real people who really work on these stories from PAs to producers to editors. And we all get in a room and we pitch stories and have fun and make it interesting. So we created a kind of a different voice for the show. Um, and, you know, to me, it's much more authentic because it's real. Um, we make fun of ourselves. We, um, we have honest discussions about these stories and there's no publicist who's kind of driving it saying, if you don't do this this way, we're not gonna give you so-and-so for the next movie. We don't do that. So we're kind of unencumbered that way. So it actually, you know, it started as a website. I think if it started as a TV show, we would have failed within a year. We really needed the two years of experience with the website to kind of reinvent things for ourselves that kind of allowed us to do the TV show. So Harvey, the idea that everybody told you it was a terrible idea and you pursued it anyway, I think everyone on this call right now on the Zoom has had that. They've had the, first of all, they've had the personal panic about whether the decision they want to go with is right or wrong. And they've, they, you know, second guess themselves into oblivion or they've been convinced by everybody around them. That's the dumbest thing ever for whatever reason, professional jealousies or true opinion. How did you find the fortitude, the professional fortitude to go with what you thought was right, even though you might've been the only guy other than Ryan Seacrest? Well, actually, I guess that it, it, it kind of goes into a personal story. Um, a long time ago, um, I was dating somebody um, and it was Darren Starr who created 90210. Yeah. And, and, it, and when Darren and I started seeing each other, 90210 had not come out yet. And in that year, when it came out, um, it was failing. And they almost canceled it. It was on the ropes. And I watched Darren and he was so focused on trying to make it right, trying to make it good, that he wasn't listening to all the noise. And he would tell me about you know, the people at the network who were putting pressure on him, do it this way, do it that way. Everybody had an opinion. And he and he said, and, you know, and it was so important to me. He said, I may fail at this, but if I fail, I want to fail on my terms. I don't want to fail and think, God, I didn't follow my own instinct. I listened to somebody else who may not know any more than me and may know less because I know this show. And he said, and, and I watched him and he literally blocked out all that noise and figured something out about four months into the show and that turned that show around into a monster hit. And I never forgot it. And, you know, look, I've had my share, believe me, I've had my share of failures, but I'm not afraid to fail. And I also know, having watched that and just having experiences, that, you know, when people come to you and say it's a bad idea, yeah, sometimes it might be professional jealousy, but usually it's not because you haven't succeeded enough for people to be jealous about you. So, you know, to me, it was, you know, it's, it's just that if you have a new idea, everybody around you is thinking about 
their lives, their careers, the way the profession is right now. And they're trying to apply it to something new. And that's hard for somebody in the outside to do. And therefore, they have a vision of what it's going to look like. And if you accept their vision instead of your vision, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. You got to be prepared to fail and accept that and take chances. And you can listen to other people, but they shouldn't dictate what you do if you have an idea. There's nothing worse than failing when you didn't trust your instincts. You trusted somebody else's from the outside and you never know if it would have worked had you done it your way. And you just got to be ready to fail. And I love your failure um, story because Richard Branson and pardon me, folks, for the ones of you who've already heard this in another session. I think I brought it up. Richard Branson said, if you want to be willing to have someone remember your face, you have to be willing to fall on it. I have never forgotten that. And I employ it every single day. But at the same time, I still, um, you know, I have trepidation about a lot of things I do even 34 years in. And I know you've been in the business a couple of decades too, Harvey. Does the calculation about failure apply evenly to someone like us? We've been around a long time as it does apply to somebody who's maybe two, three, five, seven years in the business who might might not be given a second chance. Oh, I don't see second chances being any obstacle. I don't think there's such a thing. I mean, for you guys, especially people who are just kind of entering this, there is going to be an enormous transformation in media, I think, in the next five to 10 years. Um, And there are so many opportunities to be creative now. You know, Ashley, when, uh, when I started, you know, there were three or there were four networks and that was it. You know, now look at the options you have to create things. And there are so many things. And, you know, I'll kind of say this briefly, but I don't think in five to 10 years, there's going to be such a thing as television the way we know it. I also don't think there's going to be such a thing as the Internet the way we know it. And the reason I say this, and I felt this for a long time, is that if you're looking at me right now, you're looking on 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 a monitor, right? Well, that monitor is an integrated monitor, which means that you could watch television on it. You can watch, you know, linear or you can watch something digital. You can go to the Internet on that screen. Right. You guys all with me? So you've got this remote control and you say, "Okay, I'm going to go to television for this. Oh, and then I'm going to go to the Internet for that. Well, the only two things you use that screen for, you only have two things you're using it for entertainment and information that's it the only thing you're using those screen that screen for is entertainment and information so when you think about it what's the difference between getting that in a linear or digital there's no difference so the way i see it is that eventually people are going to figure out not just to i'm going to go to the internet here or television there What you're going to do is you're going to look at all the assets you get from both and you're going to start producing not for television, not for, you know, online. You're going to be producing entertainment and information using all those assets and making it richer than any one of those two things. You can use both of those. You can use the good elements 
of broadcast, the good elements of digital, and you integrate them. And it's very, you know, show specific that you do different things for different shows, but it's entertainment and information. And there's no reason to have a barrier between online and, uh, and broadcast. So I think the two of them are going to collapse together and we're going to have a completely new way of consuming uh, entertainment and information. And that opens up a world of opportunity for anybody uh, who's listening to this um, who's creative. Because right now, you know, you've got people who are, you know, just entrenched in broadcast and they don't understand digital really. And then you got people in digital who really don't understand broadcast. Well, if you start thinking in terms of the two blending, you're ahead of the game. And when that happens, if you really understand it, there's a huge opportunity. So that actually uh, is part of a question that was submitted by uh, Chris Maloney from Atlanta. Um, he said, do you still take chances on the unknown or do you stick to a plan that works? Is there something you still want to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we moved over to Fox a year ago um, and we were at Warner Brothers for seven, the first 17 years and they were great at the beginning. And we were kind of the black sheep, you know, at a point where we didn't really fit with them. And so we didn't have opportunities um, to, you know, expand our footprint, you know, corporately. And a lot of what we did was all internal where we would go out and make our own luck and sell things. When we went over to Fox a year ago, they really, um, embraced us and they really want us to grow internationally and grow into different areas. So right now we're doing a lot of documentaries. We're going to be producing 22 documentaries in the next year. And we had one air last night called what really happened to Richard Simmons. And we have one coming up in two weeks, which is, I think is amazing. It's called, um, who really killed Michael Jackson. And we did a, a big investigation on this and it's shocking. And I have a passion for these documentaries. So, you know, look, I mean, uh, everything you do is not reinventing or recreating the wheel or whatever, but you know, you find stuff that you get a charge out of and I'm getting a real charge out of these documentaries. We just sold a game show. So, you know, the, it, it nothing has to be, you know, ground, everything doesn't have to be groundbreaking, but it's just finding things that you're interested in and then maybe finding a spin that's a little unique to what you're doing that you don't necessarily see elsewhere. And that's kind of the way we view things that we've always tried to find things. You know, I, I, we created a show actually in this this room, the room I'm sitting in called Objectified, where we wanted to tell life stories and we thought, well, a million people tell life stories sitting in a sofa. You know, what we did was we called it objectified because we would go to somebody's house like a Mark Cuban. We went to Netanyahu's house. 
uh, Steven Tyler. We did all sorts of people. And we would tell them, we want to trace your life through objects that you kept during those periods of time. So what did you ha- what do you have from childhood that kind of unlocks your childhood? What do you have, you know, from, you know, your early days in business and so on and so on. So we just created a different spin on a fairly traditional thing, but it made it really interesting. So Again, you know, to me, it's just finding those unique things where it's not just uh, another sh- another X show and it doesn't have to be groundbreaking, but that spin makes it really interesting to me. Sandra from Lubbock, Texas, has a great question about the art of the pitch, because, you know, the TMZ show is all about your staff pitching stories to you. But let's broaden out. She says, tell us about the art of the pitch. Your team is incredible at making every story sound important. And, you know, the truth is we're always pitching ourselves as well as our story and not just to our bosses, but to the audience too. So broaden out the art of the pitch to what it means for people who are trying to get better at what they do. Well, I mean, our pitches, some, we have literally stopped our meeting in the middle saying, this is ridiculous. What are we talking about? You know, where it, it where you know somebody is trying to make it important and we realize it's not. And at a point we just stop ourselves and we laugh and say this is ridiculous. We actually put that on television when we stop and have that epiphany. Um you know, and just in terms of pitching, um my you know, we've sold a lot of television shows and different products. And I think we're pretty successful at that. And I think the reason is, at least for me, that when you go into, you know, the office of a network executive or whoever you're trying to sell to, they don't know. They don't know. It's true. If they knew everything would be a hit, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have stinkers, right? And even though you say, oh, my God, look at so-and-so, they've got, you know, they run a network, they run a streaming service. They don't know. They're all guessing. It's all guessing, luck, timing. And what they're looking for, I think, is people with confidence that if you can go into a room and you make a pitch where you are so passionate about it and clear about how you're pitching, you know, pitching a project, um, you can sell it in the room because they don't know. And if you understand they don't know, as opposed to thinking, oh, I've just got to convince this person. I walk into a room saying they don't know and I'm going to pretend like I do, (laughs) you know, and I go in because the last thing I want to do is produce an unproducible show. So if I go in and pitch something, I got to believe in the show, but I also know I don't know if it's going to work or not until you see it work. And I've pitched things that have failed and then gone back to the same people and pitched again with the same passion and they'll buy it a second time. So they just don't know. And I'm not saying that you're being fake, but if you believe in what you believe in, I mean, look, if you're batting 400, you get in the Hall of Fame. And that means you struck out six out of 10 times and you're in the Hall of Fame. So I don't know that baseball is that much different, but if you can have four hits out of 10 or four successful shows out of 10, 
That's a great batting average. So you usually, just gotta, Harvey, usually for that, you have to pitch a hundred shows just for that first successful one. So it's uh it's hard in development. But I love that you said the confidence part. Because Charlie Collier, who's the president of Fox um, Entertainment, who I know you know well, he said the same thing. He said, if you think all of these executives know uh, the secret to good television, they don't know. He said exactly what you said. And he's an executive in television. So you're right. And I pitched, by the way, and I pitched to Charlie Collier. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not to say that it's that that it's fake. I mean, you've really got to believe in what you're yeah. doing. And also, the worst thing in the world is if you try to sell a bad idea that you know is a bad idea and they buy it, then good luck producing it. <laughs> it's on you. Okay, yeah, you, know, you, you, you do not want that. So you've really got to think it through. But, you know, th- they understand that, too. If they think the person that's pitching them knows their stuff, they know the failure rate. And, you know, I always thought, because I remember going back after I, I sold a show and it, and, it, and it tanked. And then I went back to the same person again. And I remember, this was a, lot, a fair years ago. And I remember thinking, are they gonna buy this a second time? And they did. And it really made me think, you know, they get the game here. They understand that everybody fails. So it's just having that confidence, but also having the passion, having thought something through it, it, it's, it, it, it works. I used to tell my kids uh, when they got really upset about something, I'd say you have to, in life, you have to have several fails every day. So every time you get one, you should celebrate that that one's behind you. Yeah. And they bought that, which was great. Uh, Kara Smith from uh, Westlake, Ohio says, um, what were the major adjustments that you had to get used to when you began your job covering entertainment? And I think that applies to anybody doing a shift, whether you're going from the crime beat to Capitol Hill or whether you're going from entertainment to business. Like, how do you make that shift? And how do you get that confidence in going into an area you don't know much about? Well, actually, you know this better than anybody here that, you know, there's no shift, that there's a skill set in reporting. There is a skill set in producing. And for those of you guys who don't know, um, one beautiful uh, sunny day in New York City, um, the world was upended. And Ashley who had never covered, as far as I know, any kind of terrorism, um, cataclysmic event, uh, was out in the streets and was an absolute star. And you figured out that based on your skill set, that it's not like, oh, I've covered terrorism for so long that I know what to do. You were just a good reporter and you knew how to do it and you shined because of it and I remember it. Um, and that, to me, it, it, it's it's not a shift. When I cover entertainment, I used to tell people that it's to me there's no difference between covering entertainment and covering the White House. The skill set is the same. It's the same thing that you want to be accurate, you want to be fair, you want to understand the big picture to be able to boil it down. You know, it, 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 I never thought of anything like this as a shift. There is a universal skill set 
in producing reporting that you can apply to just about anything. It is true. And you know what? I could talk to you for another like three hours because I feel like we only just scratched the surface, but I've taken your half hour and then some. Um, Harvey, thank you so much. I always love talking to you and uh, we don't do this enough, even just like a quick phone call. So thank you for, for all your wisdom and your guidance and for helping everybody on the Zoom today with their questions that were personalized to you. I just want to remind you, Harvey, you can join this as well if you're interested and everybody else that uh, Donnie Deutsch is coming up in September. George Stephanopoulos is in October. Keith Morrison is coming up in November. Oh my God, I want to be in the Keith Morrison one. I am such a, I, I, I used to work with Keith. He was an anchor in LA when I, my first job at KNBC. Come on. I love, oh my God, he is, he's got the, best delivery in television right there's someone else who did something no one else was doing very much like katie couric don't tell me how to have you know wnbc i will voice things the way they sound right to me i will be a storyteller the way i tell stories and he broke the mold as katie did as you have and i just i love success stories like that people who had the confidence and the guts to fall on their face right like that old uh, expression and then savannah Savannah's coming up in December. Savannah Guthrie from the Today Show. So Harvey, you got to join those and I want to, I want you to submit a question for them. Okay, maybe I will. <laughs> hey guys, uh, the best of luck to all you guys. I mean that. Best of luck. Don't forget, you can watch me every night on News Nation at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 p.m. on the West Coast. Don't know where to watch us? Just go to www joinnn.com. Enter your zip code and the channel finder will show you where you can find us on your broadcast dial. But don't forget, we're also on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV. This is Ashley Banfield and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of Rising Tide. Mm -hmm.